Hello and welcome to Hardy Party Five and a Half. Hey, babe. Hey, how's it going? It's going good. Hey, listen, you're about to fly out today to a corporate event, aren't you? I am. So it's tell what I us do. about your corporate event. Do you usually have like speakers or somebody that MCs it? Um, it depends on the show, but a lot of the times we do have like a guest speaker that'll come in on a special afternoon or evening to give like a, you know, pump everybody up speech, yeah. get people to think about things, yeah. be better leaders, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So, Anybody that you hate? No, just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> the show the show just took a turn I, don't answer that question uh anybody but no, there isn't. I can't that you actually really have enjoyed i've enjoyed a lot and yeah. recently this spring we had someone on the linux tour mm-hmm. shout out to linux mm-hmm. go buy yourself an air conditioner from dave <laughs> linux attaboy dave attaboy dave um it helps pay for this show indirectly um <laughs> So on the Linux tour this year, we have a, every spring we have a dealer tour where they go out and talk to people that aren't the corporate side, but the dealers who come in and franchise. Yeah. So the speaker this year was Paul Epstein. Yeah. And he was so good. I just noticed in all the Linuxes I've done that I, the crowd, yeah, there's, it's been, gosh, I was 20 years of Linux now. He really, the crowds just really reacted to him Mm -hmm. and more than usually. So I was like, man, we need to have this guy on and talk to him about this stuff. Yeah. Because leadership stuff and confidence stuff, Mm -hmm. like we need to talk to this guy. Yeah. And that's exactly what we did. We sure did. So we are wearing these cowboy jerseys for a reason. You're (laughs) going to find out right about now. (laughs) And so please welcome to Hardy Party Five and a Half, Paul Epstein. Hey, oh, wait, hold on. I'm putting my Niners gear on. Seriously? (laughs) Well, I knew you were with the Niners, so I said, this is our son's jerseys. We're like, Jake, can we borrow your jerseys just for a minute? (laughs) I love it. By by the way, no, real talk. Are you wearing that? Because if you are, I'm changing. Uh, No, do it. Do it. All right. Okay. Go for it. Give me 30 seconds. (laughs) Okay, that's awesome. This is the uh, the post Super oh, Bowl post Super Bowl Fifty stuff right here. This wow, is good. It looks so much more professional. We look like we went to a gift shop. He looks like he does something important. Yeah, <laughs> no, 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 no. By the way, uh, so Cowboys. So I, I think I might have mentioned this. Uh, maybe not. Um, they're a client of mine, and yeah. so I was just talking to them actually earlier today, and I'll be doing their preseason retreat uh, in Fort Worth in August. So. If they have a good season, then you can you can thank me. And if not, then you can thank me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do they know how hard are you going to work for them, actually? I mean, you're hey, you know, that that's the company secret. <laughs> no, they, they have a great business culture. I, I love their I you know, I again, there's such passionate emotions about the Cowboys like love, hate and hey, what do you think yeah. of Jerry and the fan? Like. Their day-to-day business culture, wins and losses aside, they're pretty freaking awesome. Yeah, that's cool. That's good to know. Yeah. 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 Paul, thank you for joining us today. I know that you know Scott, but I'm Rebecca. I'm the other side, the other half. I mean, some say the better half. Well, most say the better half. (laughs) Everyone should. 
good answer, babe. Yeah. <laughs> so it's nice to meet you. And thank you for taking time to talk to us today. We really appreciate it. Of course. Yeah. Um, so jumping right in, you started your sports career in Los Angeles, right? Yes. So tell yes. us a little With bit about what it was like being for that NBA franchise there. Absolutely. Well, here's exactly how it was. And I, I started on the business side. So what that means is you're the seller. And so sometimes I would joke that my family thought I was the guy in the ticket booth with a visor on asking people <laughs> if they wanted tickets. And that wasn't too far from the truth. But here's the thing. So as a proud born and raised Angelino, all of my friends and my family, they're like, dude, like, what's it like to be hanging out with Jack and the Laker girls? And they they were taking it back to the Hollywood days. And, mm -hmm. oh, my gosh, you must be rubbing elbows with Kobe and Shaq. This was back in that era. Mm -hmm. And while they didn't quite know that I didn't know Jack and <laughs> uh, Kobe and Shaq were in the building, but they were on the other side of the hallway <laughs> because I sold the other guys. We were known as the redheaded stepchild of the building and it was the LA Clippers. And a year before I start sports illustrated, excuse me, ESPN says you are the worst brand in sports. And then week two on the job, ESPN doubles down and says, you are the worst franchise in sports history. Oh. And you got to sell that. Yeah. So that was my introduction. You know, like you want to talk about walking through fires and then even to add a little insult to injury before that coming out of my undergrad, I was working for a fortune 10 organization outside territory sales manager. And that goal, it was a six figure opportunity. And I left those six figures to make seven dollars an hour, <laughs> seven dollars an hour, folks do not take financial advice from Paul Epstein back in those days. So that's how I got my, my start. And I wouldn't have had it any other way because yeah. fast forward and I'm happy to fill in the holes, but now I can reflect back and come in off a best-selling leadership playbook called the power of playing offense. When I reflect on this chapter at the Clippers and beyond like the early to mid sports career that I had, which ended up being about a 15 year ride, that is where I learned how to play offense in a defensive environment. You yeah. know, like, so for everyone listening in, like we're all facing defense every day. Defense is adversity, setbacks, hurdles, obstacles, all the environmental things that you typically can't control. Just like I could never control whether the team won on the court or the field or the ice, mm -hmm. but I still had to perform. I had to produce. We had to inspire championship culture in environments that often lost a lot. Yeah. And so I, I, you know, I wouldn't trade that for the world because I think that's the better teacher. It's the better insight builder and lesson provider. And at the end of the day, nobody wants to hear just about your trophies. Uh, that story gets old really quick. So I think the way that we can support one another is, hey, let me tell you how not only I walk through fires, mm -hmm. but how I think we can all more effectively do it because um, let's admit that life gets pretty darn hard. Yeah, that's where there's growth. Yeah, because you if you're a bad team, people get tired of you. And if you're the good team, people get tired of you because they get tired <laughs> of you winning. So yeah, you're, just ask it, Tom Brady. Yeah, it's kind of <laughs> it's kind of nice to be in the middle, maybe. And but you can still learn from those situations. And like you said, sometimes we don't realize we can learn from the hardest things that we go through. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I think um, gosh, I want to give credit where it's due. This certainly was not my original quote, but there there was a really big CEO. I'll think of his name in a second, but he said success is a lousy teacher. 
Mm. You know, like when things are going good, it ain't broke. I got nothing to fix. So what's your motivation and inspiration to change? Yeah. Like even when I ended up taking this leap of faith from sports, which we can unpack that type of decision. But I remember my boss who headed up revenue at the NFL league office. This was in a chapter where we set an all-time Super Bowl revenue record. And that's eventually Mm -hmm. how I ended up at the Niners. But I remember when I made the decision and he said, buddy, you did what others just aren't willing to do. He said the easiest choice would have been to stay on the treadmill that you're on. Mm. And I think that's for all of us, right? Like yeah. I, I love the industry and now many of my friends are in the industry and now clients and partners and all of that. But when I started to realize that my fandom might've been going down, like I worked two Super Bowls, but didn't watch a play of the game. I'm busy entertaining clients, yeah. you know, and I'm not asking folks to feel sorry for me. It was a great run. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I think there's something to be said for like, what's the greater pain? Is it the pain of same or the pain of change? Mm-hmm. And when I started to realize that I was feeling some pain and pain is like, I'm not as happy as I used to be. I'm not as fulfilled as I used to be. I'm not attacking every day like I used to be. So there's this kind of tension. It's good tension. It means that you're curious and you want a better circumstance and a better situation. But that's kind of where I eventually got after a while. Yeah, that's true. So you mentioned the 49ers. Take us behind the scenes there because you were there when the Colin Kaepernick controversy happened. And, oh, yeah. And we, we don't really want to get into politics, but as as part of the team, how did y'all react to that? And what was the whole what was the whole vibe of that for the team itself and the station? Yeah. Absolutely. And this turned out to be one of the greater leadership insights that I ever had, not in the mirror, but when uh, really building a bridge with our owner, Jed York. So let me bat lead off by saying, again, to reinforce your point, this is not a political view. This is not a social view. I'm just going to share a story of what it was like to be on the inside in the aftermath of Colin Kaepernick kneeling. So for those listening, some of us might be very familiar with the details, others less familiar, but the quick and dirty of it is He kneels during the national anthem. And so there's this uproar from people that say he's disrespecting the flag. So you can imagine a lot of folks, whether vets or military or even eventually it pivoted into law enforcement and a lot of greater service areas, a lot of people were pretty ticked off. And so that triggers over into our fans, our season ticket holders, our corporate partners. And basically the majority, I would say about 80% said, cut them from the team or we're out. Cut them from the team or we're out. And these are the folks that keep the lights on in the building. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, what happens is, and uh, it's interesting, you mentioned Tom Brady's name earlier, because I think this kind of shines a light on the way that sports teams deal with controversy. I'm not saying this is right or wrong, good or bad, but this is the raw reality of how it goes. If you do something controversial, it kind of depends who you are, right? So Tom Brady does something controversial, he'll be fine. It's Tom Brady slap on the wrist. He'll be fine. Maybe a week, maybe two weeks. And, but he'll be fine. Colin on the other side was a few years removed from peak performance. So definitely declining on the field. And so obviously when you do something super controversial, what I expected to happen was you make the business decision because if 80% of the uh, fans and corporate partners leave, the president calls me that night. He said, what's the damage? I said, look, man, I don't know. It's very fresh and raw, but back a napkin, I'm thinking maybe tens of millions of dollars. It could get up to a hundred million if everybody actually walks away like they say they are. Mm. 
So then he says, okay, 8 a.m., get everybody in the boardroom, sales team, service team, all of our client-facing folks. And Jed, Jed York, our team owner, wants to talk to him. So Jed walks up to the front. I was pretty much in my head like, let it rip. Just tell us the business decision and we're going to return our phone calls and texts and emails and go chase the storm. And that's why we're here. And he steps up and says, we at the 49ers believe in the human right of freedom of expression. Whether you're in sales, marketing, legal, operations, or you're the quarterback, we will forever support that human right. And I looked around the room and everybody was half in shock and simultaneously their chests were pumping out, just juiced up with this crazy amount of pride. Like, dude, this guy just stood for values, for character, for what he believes at his core. And he just put himself out there and he said, go chase the storm, go return the phone calls and the emails and the texts. And if they're not happy with our stance, make me your owner available. Mm. Mm. And to hear that the, the way that I took this life-changing insight from that experience was adversity does not build character. Adversity reveals character. Adversity does not build character. It reveals character. Jed York, agree with him or not, revealed his character yeah. in one of the most adverse circumstances that the sports industry may ever see. Mm -hmm. And because of that, people like me would bleed red and gold for the rest of our lives <laughs> because he made it very clear. This is who we are at the 49ers. And because he was so straightforward and unapologetic about it, he then left it on us on do we consider this to be a tribe that we believe in? And so I think that's as people and as leaders and as parents and as what is more beautiful than somebody saying, here's where I stand. Yeah. And I'm not going to change because things are hard. And I'm going to show you this same side of myself consistently over the years. And I'm going to be the same exact person behind closed doors. If every person in the world could do that, just playing the game of life with open face cards, at least we know what the game looks like. And that's a game that I believe in. Yeah, that's so true. And I, I love that on the big scale, but you hit me when you said in the family, because I mm -hmm. think that's how we've parented our kids. You know, we've said, you're going to go to your friend's house. If something happens like this, this, or this, you call us, we're the heavy, you know, we'll take it, whatever it is, we've set this standard and this is how we're going to be. And you have us to fall back on. You say, my mom, my dad, I'm sorry, I don't like this rule, but here it is, you know, or whatever you need to say, let us take it. So I appreciate that, like, for a, from a parenting standpoint, for sure. Yeah. So how, tell us about the the 49er fans, like how, how are they treated and loved by the organization? Yeah, that was one of my favorite pieces because so in my time of the Niners, I would almost describe us as two separate regimes. So the Latest regime and the ones that started a couple years into my time with the Niners are still there. And I, frankly, I think this was the culture turnaround. This is why not accidentally we're now winning uh, a lot more games than we used to because the GM, John Lynch, and head coach Kyle Shanahan, when they came in, they took over a situation where if you would have done your typical employee focus group or survey or poll, and, and I, even a little bit externally, 
Like I wouldn't have called us the highest trust organization, you know, like we were kind of getting called out on some stuff, much separate from the Colin controversy, but just in general, like there were some fractures, like, and the way that feels when you're working there is exactly this. So over there on that side of the wall is the football team and the coaches and the players and the scouts and all that good stuff. And then over there on the opposite side is the front office, the business folks, the ones that are keeping this place humming and operating 365. And the old regime believed that there should be a wall in between and you don't cross the wall. And so what happens is besides just flat out taking some of the fun out of it, in my opinion, you know, mm -hmm. like half of my colleagues, we joined the industry because there was a fandom in our heart. And, you know, when, when you feel like there's a wall, like mm, not, not optimal. Right. But the other side is it ends up being a culture of fear. Like you're walking on eggshells, like, Oh man, I'm not supposed to be over here, over there. Like, and then when Lynch and Shanahan came in, they said, screw the wall, tear down the wall. We're going to rebuild our culture brick by brick. Hmm. And each person served as its own brick. Like they appreciated what each person from a skills, gift, talent, attitude, energy, perspective. And that was so cool. So all of a sudden people started to feel more included. They started to feel like they belong. They started to feel like they matter. And so I'm, I know you asked about fans, but like for me, it starts on the inside because yeah. here's why. When we took this shift over to from low trust to high trust, we started to do things that some of the best in class cultures do. Like, hey, we need kind of this inspirational jolt. So I remember bringing in Simon Sinek, start with why, really kind of one of those pioneers of purpose. We bring him in for a keynote. Awesome. But now how do I apply that on Monday morning? So then we bring in a different group that help us apply this North star, this why and this purpose and be like, okay, how can we show up differently on Monday? The way we act, the way we make decisions, the way our behaviors. And so then we formed these five organizational hows. And one of those, I, I remember it was talking about unpacking what does the 49ers way mean? So living the 49ers way and being very specific about what that means to be a member of the 49ers family whether you're in accounting or the quarterback or anybody. And then I specifically remember this, and this is where it goes into fans. One of our hows uh, statements was every seat has a story. So think about that. Mm -hmm. We all either have co consumers or customers in our business, or we've been a customer. So we know what it feels like either on one or both sides of that coin. Mm -hmm. And if it's treated like a transactional relationship, then Hey, that's where the whole paycheck over purpose comes in. That's where there's no commitment. There's no loyalty. Like at the end of the day, like I'll bounce tomorrow if I get a better deal somewhere else. Right. And in this case, we said every seat has a story. Instead of thinking of those as four season ticket holders, there's a story there. The challenge is, are we going to take the time to get to know it? And so when you lean in, you're like, okay, from the birthdays, to the anniversaries, to the kiddos, to intentionally creating lifelong memories for fans because they deserve it. Not only because of their financial investment, but again, their loyalty stretches beyond wins. Like, I, I think we should applaud them when the team's not winning and yet the loyalty keeps coming back. Like, look, 
y'all right now, if folks are on video watching this, like y'all are wearing some Cowboys jerseys. And like, if anybody needs to know about loyalty, every team has gone through it. But like, my goodness, every year, the Cowboys fans talk like they won the Super Bowl last year. I'm like, what's going on right now? Like, you know, we barely made the playoffs. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There's there's reality. But, no, um, you know, all all jokes aside, like this whole every seat has a story was super inspiring because. We started in this better culture, this transformed culture to care enough where then we started to pour ourselves to find out the story in every seat. And my belief is this. My belief is that if you treat people good during the blue skies, then they'll repay you with their commitment and loyalty during the storm. Mm -hmm. And so I, I really, when we were training our team, I said, Let's just pour ourselves into people, not because we need to, but because we want to, right? We get to, like, there's a sense of gratitude. Like, my goodness, like, I'm responsible for 5,000 seats, 5,000 stories in this wonderful building for this wonderful franchise. Like, there's a lot of beauty in that. And so we got reminded of why we do what we do. That comes back to the why. You didn't do it to make a commission on four tickets. No, you did it. Because every single Sunday, there was a new lifelong memory that could be lived if you made it possible mm-hmm. for those four people. Yeah. And so that's kind of the cool part. And so when you talk about fans, like after a lot of lean years and some losing years and all of that, they repaid us with their commitment and loyalty. And yeah. even going back to the Colin Kaepernick thing, yeah. 80% of folks said they would leave. Only about 15% did, one five. And, and eventually a lot of those even came back. But that was my theory. Out of 32 NFL teams, we were top four, top five in uh, customer service, ratings, reviews, scores, all that good stuff. And so I, I think there were enough daily deposits. I call it relational capital. Mm-hmm. Like we stacked up enough debits during the good days. And then when the storm struck, like, oh my gosh, he just took a knee. Oh my gosh, I'm going to leave. I'm gonna... They said, no, you know what? Paul, Susie, whoever my service rep is, they've been taking care of me. I can't leave them just because something that was out of their control happened. Mm -hmm. So that kind of closes the loop on the outcome of the post-call-in chapter, but Mm -hmm. it's because of how we treated people during the good times. Yeah. Yeah. Gosh, what if we just treated everybody we encountered that they have a story and we just haven't tapped into it yet and it'd be such a different society. I love that thought. Yeah. So tell us about, you know, Scott and I got married on a softball field. I don't know if you know that. So. Oh, I, I did not know that. So football field on this side and then softball yeah. field. Yeah, no, we got married literally uh, yeah. at Levi Stadium. I know. 100% her idea. 100%. That's what I want to hear. Tell, yeah, tell, tell us me, about tell me about your fairytale wedding. <laughs> yeah, for sure. So <laughs> what, what's really interesting, so you can't tell by the last name of Epstein, uh, but I'm a proud Mexican descent. So mi mamá nació en Nayarit, and also on my in-law side, uno de Michoacán y de Guadalajara. So that's enough Spanglish for the day. I'll just leave it at that. But all that to say, I hope with my accent, I can prove to you that I'm not a BS in here. So so with the proud Mexican <laughs> roots. I don't know if it's right, but it's good. It was true. You're, you're like, yes, I'll take his word sure. for it. Whatever, whatever. I'm going to ask some real people later. <laughs> you, you, you absolutely can. So um, the way this went down is, so most of our family, obviously at the time we're in the Bay Area, Area. Uh, but our roots and our family is largely in either LA, greater SoCal, some are still in Mexico. So all of them were kind of south of us. 
And, you know, there's kind of two types of weddings, right? There's those ones that are like, hey, you know, come have a great time. But then, uh-oh, it's 10 p.m. I got to get back to the kiddos and the dogs and the this and the that. And that's what happens when you make it super convenient for people. Mm -hmm. So for us, we're like, we're not going to ask you to travel halfway around the world. But like put in a little bit of effort, not because we're going to make you stretch, because this is going to be a party. Right. Like this is going to be yeah. a thing. And like, you don't want to be going home at 10. Right. <laughs> so, what, you know, when you get people to the Bay and a lot of folks have never done something like this in the Bay, our logical choices were like, let's hit up wine country. Right. Like, let's check out Napa. Let's check out Sonoma. Right. And the problem there, we were super stoked about it. But then the problem is that uh, they have noise ordinances. So there's these curfews. Basically, like if you do something at a winery, you got to shut it down at 10 p.m. Really? Well, I, if you know anything about the Mexican culture, that's not when the party that's like ends. That's when it starts. Right. So that was out. And then it, almost immediately, my wife comes up to me. And this was right after I had absorbed the events department. And the events is basically, so what do you do in the stadium the 355 days that there aren't NFL games? And part of that, besides concerts and other things, it's like, hey, we're going to throw holiday parties and conventions and trade shows and just private events. So she says, hey, didn't you tell me that y'all do weddings at the stadium? And immediately, like, this pit in my stomach, I was like, oh, my gosh, like, where are you going with this? You know, like, where are you going with this? I was like, in my head, I'm like, I think she's about to ask me to get married where I work. I really think she's about to do this. And lo and behold, uh, after uh, maybe, uh, I, I don't know, but maybe you both have had a conversation where there's a one-to-one -one vote and one side always wins. So we went through the one-to-one -one vote and you know where I landed. And so that was that was it. But here's the cool part. Because of the roots, I'm telling you, it was so amazing. Like there was a taquero. Uh, I mean, there were barrels, margaritas flowing, uh, mariachi band, first in Levi Stadium history. So like it was just this epic night. And as much as I was fretting, getting married where you work. And at first I, oh gosh, like the, the, the coolest part was during cocktail hour where of course as the bride and groom, you're busy doing pictures. So you, you you're yeah. kind of the least available person but I remember in the little bit that we got to poke our heads out to see people's faces when they first stepped on the grass. Yeah. And like, these are the most important people in our lives. And like, I, I just started bawling, you know, I'm wow. like, like I take you for granted. Like yeah. that, that's, that was an office to me. That's right. And, but to other people, that was a playground. And uh, just to see people throwing the ball around for cocktail hour and just having the time of their lives, like, you wouldn't trade that for the world. No, that is so fun. Ours wasn't quite like that. I mean, we rented a city rec park. Yeah. Field, so I, there wasn't any crying on the field that I remember because it wasn't <laughs> Unless quite. somebody got hit by a softball. Yeah. There, <laughs> there was, was a lot of sweating. There I know that just for reception. Yeah. We played softball. We played for softball for reception. So. Yeah. But yeah, it wasn't. Yeah. We just rented the field for $15 an hour. It wasn't that big of a deal. Hey, it's all good. Still it's all no good. mariachi band. We had some barbecue. <laughs> I'm jealous of that. Yeah. Ain't nothing wrong with that. <laughs> I didn't even think about it being your office. Like, yeah, that's so funny. Yeah. Yeah, I didn't even think about that. Yeah. Yeah. Married at work. Yeah. But yeah. I mean, if we were guests of that, how we would feel stuck oh, on cool that field. That he's just like, hey, oh, yeah. I'm here all the time. Even if I told you not to wear your Cowboys jerseys, you'd still yeah. come? Oh, oh yeah, yeah definitely. absolutely. Okay. Then yeah. we mentioned these are our sons, right? I mean, we're on time. Yeah, you did. Okay. You can take right. these off anytime. <laughs> all right. Well, now all of a sudden you're you're reinvited to the tenure reunion. Okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so we've talked about leadership 
a little bit. So what makes a good leader and how can we be leaders ourselves? Like we've talked about business leaders and all that, but in our own lives, how can just individuals be leaders? Yeah. Well, I would put this back to pose a question to everybody, not only to both of y'all, but also to everybody that is uh, listening in. By the way, I want to call a quick timeout. You notice how my y'alls are really coming out. Um, really so good. I, 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 I'm telling you, besides I, you can fact check the Spanish and now the y'alls, yes. that was, you can yes. thank my two years in New Orleans for that. Yes, it's Sabian, it's Sabian Paul. Mm, <laughs> yeah. mm. So for everyone listening in, think of the greatest leader you've ever had in any walk of life. It could be personal, it could be professional. So it could be a parent. It could be a coach. It could be a mentor. Maybe it is somebody in business or work, whatever it is, whoever that is, who is that person? And now think about why would you follow them to the end of the earth and back? Like, there's a reason. How did they show up? Their actions, their behaviors. And as you process that thought, so I asked this to now tens of thousands of, of groups all over the world. And the responses are eerily similar. You'll always hear these things like they listened, they cared, they had compassion, they challenged me, they walked the walk, and I could keep going. And whoever that person is, I ask you, what did they do? Why did you just think of them? And not only did they effectively lead you, but were they also effective leaders of themselves? Would they be the greatest leader that you've ever had if they were poor at leading themselves? Probably not. And so my belief is that before we lead others, we must first lead ourselves, and you don't need a title to lead yourself. The Webster Dictionary tells you rank, role, title, authority. Okay. Oh, really? I, I need a title to Listen, to care, to be compassionate, to challenge, to walk. The no, I don't. And so if that's the case, if we can do those things, if you literally, for everyone listening in, write down the first 10 responses of the greatest leader you've ever had. What did they do? One or two word responses. This could take you one minute. And look at those things on paper and ask yourself, can I do that today, tomorrow, the next day, the next day? And my bet after doing this with so many folks is for 90 to 100% of every single list, the answer is hell yes. Yes, of course you can. So if that's the case, that's the new job description. Better than a job, that's the new life description. If you could challenge yourself to step into the behaviors of the greatest leader that you've ever had, not only is it possible that down the road you're thought of as that greatest leader, I just think it's empowering because we've democratized leadership. Yeah. Leadership to think that you need a title, like that's a little far-fetched and like, hey, so what are you telling me that if I'm an entry-level marketer, you know, that I, I'm in the back office, hey, I'm, I'm at this, you know, I'm back in the factory, I'm back in the, all good, mm -hmm. lead yourself. Mm -hmm. And if we had a world filled with great leaders of self, that's a world that I want to live in. Yeah, yeah. Mm, absolutely. Okay, so, but how would you answer that question? I'm curious, like, who would you say is a leader for you? Who was your mentor? Somebody you look up to. I'm putting you on the spot. Absolutely. Uh, for me, it is my dad, my hero, and he's a hero that I lost at 19. Mm. And when I reflect back at meeting some of his former students, he was a continuation high school teacher. And to have run-ins with them years after he passed, 
-hmm. and to be told things like your dad was the first person that ever believed in me. Yeah. And your dad gave me a reason to think that tomorrow is worth it. And if you distill that down into how my dad showed up, um, I don't know if there's ever a more important lesson in life I'll, I'll learn. Right. And yeah. these were people that on the outside, they looked a different way. You wouldn't want to be around them in a dark alley. They'd been given up on. But think about the power of this, though. My dad poured belief into one person. And one person could tell me things like, he gave me a reason to think that tomorrow's worth it. And now I share this type of story to millions of people over the course of decades of being a keynote speaker. And this will continue till my very last day. Like I found my calling. I'll continue to pour myself into stages and people. And same thing as my dad, just leave them better than I found them. That's the life mission. And so think about one person, one good deed, one good act. My dad does something special for one gentleman. He shares some stories like this with me about my dad. I now share it with millions of people all through a one-to-one -one connection. So when people hear things like, oh, I can never go change the world because that sounds so big, you don't have to. Just change one person. Right. Pour yourself into one person. And it's amazing how these dominoes and the cascading effects. So yeah, I appreciate you asking me because um, I do, I miss my dad more than I could ever describe. Mm -hmm. But I also know that my measurement of success is making him proud. And I also know that his legacy has become my purpose. Mm -hmm. I didn't know that in the aftermath. It took me years to put all the pieces and myself back together. Mm -hmm. But when you go through something like that, and if you can harness what, what it means to you, and more importantly, how it can make you the best version of yourself going forward. Like I always say this, pain can be tied to your purpose. Pain can be tied to purpose, but the bridge in between is healing. You have to heal. It's yeah. not, oh, somebody listening, you have pain connected to your purpose. No, 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 no. Are you healed? And if you're not, you got to do whatever you have to do to heal. And pain, once healed, can become your purpose. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's hard to have that purpose if you haven't healed that component Correct. yet. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So you speak about being a dad. You... And your kid, kiddo's name PJ, is that right? PJ, yeah. PJ, Peyton Jeffrey, so yeah, he goes by How old is PJ now? Two and a half. And uh, okay. hey, hot off the press, we're expecting our second. Let's oh, go. wow. Okay. <laughs> nice. So yeah. with your dad being your hero, how does it feel to be a dad now? Now, today? Yeah. For you, how does it feel being a dad? Now, today is amazing. Today. <laughs> yeah. No, no, no. I'll, I'll be really honest with y'all, though. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm loving it now. Uh, I did not, did not love the first six months. Um, <laughs> I wasn't ready for it. Yeah, I wasn't ready. My heart wanted to be a hero, just like my dad. And my head wasn't ready to join for the party. Right. My head was a little messed up. I was told by all my friends that, oh, being a dad is a Hallmark card. And like three, four, five months in, I'm like, where's the postman? I haven't got the card yet, you know? <laughs> so, and then you feel like a bad person. You're like, what's wrong with me? My buddies told me. And so, you know, and there's, there's the natural stuff too that, you know, if we're putting all our cards out on the table, my wife's my best friend. 
I kind of missed my best friend. I missed our yeah. old life. I was like, what happened to the dates? What happened to this? What happened to that? And like, what happened to the freedom? What happened to doing whatever you want? All the things that I think if most parents are honest, we go through it. In my case, it lasted about six months. Maybe other folks, they process it a lot quicker. But you know, what healed me, speaking of healing. Since I was going to say, you had to heal that, this piece. You had to heal, I had to heal this pain. Your purpose. Yeah, I had to heal this pain. And, and what helped me was, I think my thoughts were very self-damaging, you know, like when you keep things in your head, it's really dangerous, really, really dangerous. Um, but then I, I opened up and look, uh, it took some, you know what, because I was afraid of the conversation. I'm like, if I, if I tell her, like, is she going to judge me as a dad, as a parent, as a, as a partner? But yeah. eventually the pain got so big that I just had to talk to her and I, and her response. And now I am not shocked, but even though I was afraid, she reacted in the exact opposite way to say that not even anything about me she said we will get through this i'm so glad you told me honestly i've been waiting to have this conversation for months <laughs> she knew i was going it. through it she really yeah, did yeah. she really did but she yeah. didn't jump in she yeah. waited for me to come to her so i think that was a part of it and then right. and then eventually she goes oh yeah like you should totally call your friends and your buddies and i'm like no no no, no honey they told me it was going to be a hallmark card yeah. You know, she, she's they like, don't know. ah, whatever, don't be a softie. Just go ahead and call them. So I did. <laughs> and lo and behold, most of my guy friends, they said, yeah, dude, I struggled for the first year. Yeah, I struggled. I was like, you told me Hallmark card. <laughs> yeah, we didn't want to just, so they didn't want to rain on the parade. And yeah. needless to say, like, I'm so happy I went through that because even now coming up on, you know, from the time we're recording this, we're give or take six months ish away from our second uh, joining and we'll be a, a proud tribe before now. And my excitement level, like all the stuff, like all the butterflies, all the stuff that they tell you about, now I feel it. But I had to go through a little muddy water to get here. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask, you know, we're veteran parents, Paul. So real talk mm -hmm. here. You can tell us. I mean, we want to just make sure you're preparing for this next one and like how you're going to handle this first five to six months. I mean, you have some things in mind, some things, some ways you're going to like, you're just all, you just think you're just ready and excited for it and know what's coming or you prepared for something. You mean aside from prayer and whiskey? Yeah. Like aside from those <laughs> aside things? Yeah. From, <laughs> aside from those two things. That could be your next book, Prayer and Whiskey. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, I, you know, look, I, I, I don't have specifics on that answer other than to yeah. say that, like, I guess my, my, my point being, I'm okay with discomfort. Mm -hmm. You know, like my good buddy, Sterling Hawkins, he recently wrote a book called Hunting Discomfort and it's phenomenal. And, and one of the biggest takeaways that I personally have adopted from it is comfort and growth cannot simultaneously exist. Mm -hmm. You cannot simultaneously be comfortable and grow. So discomfort is required to grow. Mm -hmm. And if that's the case, and I do believe that to be true, then I know that there will be a lot of discomfort in the next six months and the following six months and the following years. But I also know that to grow and the thought about like, I have a hero in heaven and my dad and for me to earn, earn, not because I have a title that's BS. I don't want to be called a hero because I'm a dad. No, mm -hmm. I want to earn that from my kids every day every day. And if I have a bad day, they should be disappointed in me. They should, because like, I really want to put myself to a standard of like, I won't be perfect, but I'll be honest. 
and you're going to know who I am. And if yeah. I make a mistake, I will apologize tenfold, but I'm just going to do my best every day. Yeah. And so like, I think now I just have a healthier mindset on how I may, maybe I, I think I was just expecting perfection the first time. Yeah. And that's what screwed a lot of things up. Now I know it's going to be drastically imperfect, drastically. And so like for <laughs> oh, me yeah. to know You're that it's like started at imperfect, Paul. You're just getting started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, like, your... yeah, maybe that's a different show. Maybe that's, we're switching yeah. the microphones <laughs> and I could interview the both of you about uh, the ups and downs, the ups and downs. Yeah, that's true. But I can tell you, sorry, baby, to cut you yeah. off, but I can tell you that that was so important for our kids. Eventually, I think Drew was probably 10 or 11 when he said to us, he said to me, I remember specifically, I don't ever see you mess up, mom. And I was like, mm. I've done a disservice because I need you to see that I fail and I'm not, you don't put me in this perfect category and I need you to see that. So it became more honestly, like I had to intentionally show my failure to them yeah. and let them see I'm still, you know, I'm not, don't put me on a pedestal. I need to ask you for forgiveness for this. I'm not trying to cover it up and just be open and honest about things. There's so much growth for them in that too. Yeah. hundred percent. Mm -hmm. yep absolutely well i'm glad you shared that because i think it happens to every couple when you when you start having kids and we just like your buddies are like oh it's no big deal you know and they were going through the same thing and i think it's good that we're open and honest and go okay this is not what i expected <laughs> yeah we're gonna make it through this but mm -hmm. this is not what i expected yeah. and we interviewed she's an olympic softball player uh janie reed a few months ago and they just had a kid so I just saw her post and if they were going on their first date night and mm. she was like, we're going on our first date night and we're going to find out who these new people are. Like <laughs> just talking about their relationship. Yeah. Like what's yeah. the new one? Oh, because I love that. Know, yeah. So yeah, I think it's really important that we're honest and let people know, Yeah, man, this having kids can, yeah. It yeah. Can but you're going to be parents longer than you weren't parents. Right. Yeah. That, yeah, no, very true. Very <laughs> yeah. true. Yeah. Actually, if I could share one thing that I think worked for us and so, you know, sometimes when you do 10 things and one of them actually works out and you're like, oh, let me tell you about that one thing. And then yeah, let's, yeah. Ignore the, let's ignore the nine <laughs> things that didn't go right. So this is one thing that went right in the early chapters of, of parenthood. And maybe this could help, but not that everyone listening is a parent, but I'm sure there's a lot of parents. Mm -hmm. And so the one thing was, I realized that I couldn't change the way that our, our bias was pulling us in one direction versus another. And here's what I mean by that. My wife, as soon as PJ, uh, graced us like the first moment. And she said, give me my baby to the, to the nurse. <laughs> I was like, who are you? And what have you done with my wife? You know, like, so, but I, but it was crazy because I could tell, I was like, oh my gosh, like super mom is born. Like what I had never seen that side of her, right? Like yeah. literally never seen that side. And then, so she was kind of pro- three of us pro kid pro pj and not in a bad way toward me but i could tell she was leaning that way a lot in the first months mm -hmm. i was kind of like hey i miss my best friend and i miss the date nights i was feeling that more in the early months and so we kind of created this rule and it, it worked out tremendously basically we were our own police on the other side so in other words if she was like too PJ, 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 PJ. And let's say we hadn't gone on a date night. I'm making this up in eight months. I have the right to call it out and be like, hey, we're dropping them off at the grandparents and you and I like, and, and she couldn't say anything in return because that was my job. Yeah. She had the opposite job. Mm. The opposite would have been, 
dude, we're going on six to eight nights a week for five consecutive. <laughs> we don't even know our kid's name, you know? Like, yeah. <laughs> and so she could have called me out respectfully. And I'd be like, cool. Like, that's the rule we created. So we created this nice yin and yang, this, I don't want to say good cop, bad cop. We were both good cops, but in different ways yeah, to say, yeah. if it goes too far to the opposite, come over here. Right. right? Yeah. And like, it kind of worked out for us. Yeah. That's, no, that's yeah, great. That's, that's a good that's word. Awesome. Yeah. For sure. Keep you in check. Yeah. 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 They'll be doing that for a long time. It's a <laughs> Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> well, Paul, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been a great chat. I wanted to mention you you follow someone on Instagram that is a good friend of ours, Derek Kenny. Do you know yeah. he, he comes across your feed some? Yeah, I just had lunch with his wife. He's they live in our in our neighborhood or town and we just hang out with them often. So I thought, oh like the Paul Paul follows Derek. There you go. There you go. Small <laughs> world. Well. Thank you so much for joining Hardy Party of Five and a Half. Know you're a busy guy and you're about to get even busier with number four on the number two on the way for in your family. So we appreciate yeah. you taking time to talk to us. Absolutely. And I'll I'll end with this too. So you mentioned the kind of kiddo on the way. The other thing is both books, the one that already exists, Power Playing Offense, and the other one, Better Decisions Faster, launching this September. Apparently, uh, I got a thing that book and baby within 90 days oh, both okay. times. How about that? How about so, that? you know, every time you write a book, you know what's coming. Watch yourself. Don't say it. That's right. <laughs> oh, let, us, let us know when you start the third manuscript. Yeah. yeah I, I know. Yeah. We'll, 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 uh, we'll be, yeah. keep on, uh, keep on betting that. And also if I could just share a gift with your audience as well, cause I think this is yeah. really cool, you know, like, so better decisions faster for me. It's, um, it's a, it's a roadmap and a playbook for how to build unshakable confidence when you need it most. You know, like these big decisions of uh, strategy A or B, team, hire, fire, relationship, am I in or out? Like these A versus B, is this the right partner? Is this the right deal? Is this the right, like all these things. And then we get frozen, right? Like we're stressed, we're anxious. And like, I realized that the key is, are we entering these critical forks in the road with clarity and confidence? And so like, as an example, as a gift for everybody, I always wondered, like, I think I have high confidence, but maybe I'm not as consistent as I want. So I, I've been studying confidence for the last two years and my team has just created this really cool quiz. It takes five minutes. It's free on my website and you can find out on one to a hundred, how confident you are. Oh, okay. Now here's the thing. That's your score today. Don't think of this as a light switch. I'm either on or off. I'm either confident or I'm not. Think of it like a dimmer switch. Like it can go up, obviously it can go down too, but it can go up. So what we've done is we basically distilled, what are the keys to becoming more confident? Or if you're already highly confident, sustaining your confidence. So on the back end of the quiz, you get those keys as well. So paulefsteinspeaks.com confidence quiz, please just a, a free gift from me to everybody in your community. Yeah. No, that's great. And we'll put, we'll put that in the show notes too. So yeah. cool. too. Awesome. I actually just yeah. saw that a few minutes ago, but I didn't have time to take it. Yeah. So it's I'm, all good. I'll, well, I'll do it. it now. I'm excited. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. Thank you so much, Paul. Hope you Thank have a you. wonderful day. Hope your uh, Niners do good this season. But not too good. We'll see you in the <laughs> NFC Championship and may the best team win. Okay. <laughs> my, my Philadelphia Eagles buddies are just really obnoxious. So I'm down to see yeah. Dallas in the NFC Championship. Yeah. At least I'm we good. have a common yeah. enemy, the Eagles. <laughs> 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 all right, y'all. Really okay, enjoyed man. the time. Thank you. Okay. Take care. Thank you so much. All right. Okay. So I just finished my confidence quiz. 
I did too. Okay. We decided to do it. We went to paulestinspeaks.com. That's, right. That's right. And yep. you, you want to do it. It's really fascinating to yeah. see how you deal with things. And this is just like, this is right off the press. We haven't time to really, it. we haven't processed all this information yeah, yet. You're about to be crying in the corner. Let me tell you. <laughs> just kidding. Um, but like it. it's not surprising how we came out. So yeah. it really deals a lot with like, do you function through like your head knowledge, your heart, your feeling knowledge, or your yeah. hands like action and doing things. And so, my so do you think i'm head heart or hand you're most definitely head <laughs> you're mr logic mrs logic mrs logic oh my goodness that fits me to a t and i knew as i was taking this that you're most definitely heart i was my heart score was higher than my head and my hands yes no, that's you're why we're a good a couple. big soft dude yeah yeah so heart score your heart score the heart score reflects the current level of your decisions and actions fully aligning with your truth and authenticity oh yeah that is you this that is sounds, me that sounds my fancy. head score reflects the current strength of my mindset in its connection to making confident decisions and taking confident actions hmm. very there nice you go. I think so together we make one confident person with the heart and the head yeah that's right we hope you guys enjoyed this with Paul Epstein. I mean, he's so fascinating. If you want to know more about him, go check out his books, The Power of Playing Offense. That's the one he has out now. And the other one that has coming out, Better Decisions Faster. And you're going to want to check those out and go visit his Instagram, Paul Epstein Speaks. So fascinating. Take that quiz. Tell us all about it. Party, party, five and a half, over and out. We'll see you next time. Go Cowboys. <laughs>